Well, good morning, Springbrook. It is so good to see so many beautiful faces in the room today. If you are worshiping with us online, a special welcome to you as well. I want to remind you, if you're worshiping online, that our online hosts are going to be standing by throughout the whole service and would love to spend time with you answering any questions you have, spending some time in prayer. So you can click on that request prayer button over on the right-hand side at any time throughout the service, and they would love to pray with you. You'll go into a private one-on-one chat. Um, We want you to feel connected to this community. We want you to feel engaged. So please feel free to participate in the chat throughout the service. Well, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Bethany, and I am the worship director here at Springbrook. And it is truly, truly an honor and a privilege to spend this time with you. We are so delighted to be with you and to worship together with you this morning. Our call to worship comes out of Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse 11. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne... And the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's join our voices with that heavenly song this morning, singing worship to our God who is worthy. I invite you to stand and sing with us.
hands up together this morning. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? of Leviticus right now as a church, and the book of Leviticus is a book about the holiness of God and the implications of if man wants to dwell with God, and if God is going to dwell with man, the necessary sacrifice in order to cover our sin and allow us to live in, in right relationship with God and his holiness. And so this morning, um, there, what an appropriate thing to do to celebrate with communion. You see, communion, the, the night Jesus was betrayed, the, the night before the cross, when Jesus passed the elements, he, he passed the bread with the disciples and said, this is my body broken. And he passed the wine, we do grape juice, um, and, and passed it around and said, this is my blood spilled for you. On that night and, and, and the 24 hours that followed, sacrifice went from being necessary regularly to no longer necessary because Jesus's blood was shed once and for all. And so we no longer have to shed blood, but, but instead we get to rejoice and we get to remember and we get to live in the knowledge that we can be holy before God because of the blood that was shed on our behalf. So if you're at home, I'd encourage you to grab your own elements. If you're here, um, we have elements up front. If you'd put your mask on as you come forward during this next song and, and partake, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that everything we talk about in Leviticus over the next month points to the ultimate sacrifice of your son. We thank you that the challenges of your holiness, not because of anything wrong with you, but because of everything wrong with us, we thank you that the, the challenges of understanding your holiness are, are tempered by the fact that your son died in our place, that his blood covers us if we accept it. And we thank you that he didn't just die, but he rose and he will never die again. And the promise for those who believe him is that we will someday reign for eternity with him. He will be our king. We will be his people. And the dwelling place of God will be with man forevermore. And we 
thank you that as we partake of communion, we get to rest in the knowledge of, of what your son has done for us, and we get to rejoice. In your name we pray. you gave up for us people who had betrayed you who had sinned against you who had walked away from you in every way and yet you loved us enough and you wanted us enough to send Jesus to make a way to be the final sacrifice 
that would ever be needed so that we might know you, so that we might have life now and for eternity. You have called us into abundant life in Jesus. I pray for each person who's worshiping here today, whether in this room or from a long ways away, I pray, Holy Spirit, that there would be a sense of your presence, that we would be keenly aware of your love for us, your delight in us as your children. For those in this room who are coming in today grieving or heavily burdened by what they have faced this week, Holy Spirit, bring comfort. In Jesus' name, we pray for comfort. We pray for courage and confidence and whatever it is that we need from you today. Make our hearts open and receptive to you. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and interpret this word, to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what you have for us in your good and perfect word this morning. We love you, and this is all for you and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Man, well, good morning. We're so glad that you are with us this morning. As Bethany mentioned, if you are watching online with us this morning, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to let us know that you're with us. You can fill out that uh, online connection card at any point during the service. And then we've also got our online host available uh, to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have about Springbrook. And if you're with us in person this morning, uh, we are glad that you are with us. Uh, You've got a connection card in your seat, so you can take a moment to fill that out at any point during the service that's convenient for you. And then there's a place for you to drop those off in the back. I just want to thank you for being with us this morning. We are moving to our in-person service at 11 o'clock today, so this is going to be a, a kind of a celebration. But at the same time, um, I just want to let you know that um, it's, it's been good to see how God has been faithful to our ministry and as he's been working through you as you've been in our community um, during this past year. You know, I'm excited about who we are when we come together, but God has been doing such an amazing work through you in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your families, as you have been out in the world this past year. And so I'm excited about us coming back together, but let us not forget, let's celebrate the way that God used us in our community, in our workplaces, in our world uh, this past year. So we're looking forward to being back together, but let's not forget we have a mission to reach our community for Christ, and you've been an important part of that mission the past year. It's been exciting to see how many new families we've connected with online, both through the relationships that you have with people in our community. And so we want to continue to pray um, that our ministry would be effective at reaching our community for Christ, however he seems to do that. You know, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, he used persecution. This last year at Springbrook, he used quarantine. <laughs> and so God has worked in amazing ways. And so we're excited about being back together. But let us not forget the lessons that we've learned this past year. Um, we are working to try to rebuild um, our 11 a.m. service. And so we're starting to come back uh, to meet in person. And then many of our ministries right now are starting to work towards preparing for that. Um, it's been a year of adjustment. And as we move back into meeting in person, uh, we have several ministries that are praying for uh, people that are willing to serve uh, to build up the body of Christ so that we can be stronger as we move into this new year. I know that right now our First Impressions team is praying for people that would be interested to be hosts on Sunday morning when you walk through the front door. Typically, there's somebody there to open the door for you, to greet you, to say hello, to help you find a seat, answer your questions. And so we are praying for individuals that would be interested in being a part of that host greeting team. And so if you are interested in being a part of that team, I would love the opportunity to talk with you. And then also our online host, 
The people that are serving online right now, they're coming back in person. And so right now we're praying for people that would be willing to engage uh, in conversations with people online as well. And so we are praying for uh, online hosts and then in-person hosts. And so if you're interested in uh, signing up for that, um, let us know. And then our production team is also praying for people that are, have gifted, uh, giftedness of lighting, maybe running the soundboard, the camera. We're moving to our second service right now. And so all of our teams right now are praying for uh, others that would want to be a part of uh, building up uh, those ministries. Our children's ministry is going to be meeting uh, for the first time uh, at the 11 o'clock service. And so if you've pre-registered your kids, um, that would be, uh, you'll be able to bring them and drop them off. Uh, we've got limited space in our children's ministry, and so we're still trying to keep a safe environment uh, for our kids. But if you've got any questions about how you can get connected and serve, build relationships, make friends, and strengthen this body of Christ, I uh, would love the opportunity to talk with you. You can go to springbrook.org slash serve. Or if you've downloaded our app, um, just go to News and Events, and there's a place that you can select uh, for interest to see a list of where there's opportunities for you. And I also just want to take a moment to thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. Our ministry is stronger now than it was when we went into the year, and so I'm grateful for God's provision. I just want to thank you for your faithfulness, your generosity. In fact, this uh, past week, our worship team uh, just purchased a new uh, keyboard, and so that was an answer to prayer for them. We had a piece of equipment that had been uh, wired and kind of put together, and so um, our worship team was able to uh, to purchase a new keyboard, and so that was a, an answer to prayer for us. But you know, it's because of your faithfulness and your generosity and your giving that we're able to create an environment where people can come learn about Jesus, about God, about the Bible, where they can worship uh, our Lord and Savior, and it's an opportunity for us to also be effective at reaching our community for Christ. And so thank you for your generosity. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about online giving, you can find that on our website. If you have not downloaded our app yet, I'd encourage you to do that. You can text uh, 77977 is the phone number. Uh, you can text Springbrook app. Uh, to that. I think there's a slide for that on this next one. Um, there's a, uh, there you go. Text 77977 to Springbrook. Uh, it's, you can text that Springbrook app. That'll put the app right on your phone. Or if you're just interested in online giving, uh, you can do that as well. Now, I saw that slide go by for uh, Spring Forward. So next Sunday, don't forget, um, you want to set your clocks ahead. We don't want you to miss out on an exciting service. And so if you have any questions about our ministry, please let us know. Um, we're so glad that you are with us as we continue our series, uh, The Law on the Cross. Now Pastor Matt's going to come out. He's got some exciting things to share with you from the book of Leviticus. And I'm looking forward to our teaching this morning, Pat, uh, Matt. So, All right. Well, let me just start with um, teaching in Leviticus is miserable. Um, we are right now working on teaching Lucy patience. Um, and this is what Lucy looks like anytime she is not getting exactly what she wants. Um, at meals, Lucy will, it'll be like, it'll be like five o'clock and we eat at 5.30. And, and I'll be like, okay, okay, Lucy, I'm going to start cooking. And she comes and stands at my leg and says, eat, eat, eat. And I'm like, yeah, I got to cook. I got to cook. And then she goes, up, up, like, pick me up. So I pick her up, but then I need to look in the oven. So I set her down and she just starts wailing. It's like, Lucy, be patient. And whenever, when I say patient, she'll go, pa, pa, like, like she's starting to say the word patient. And then she'll start screaming again. Um, and, and, and teaching a toddler patience is hard. Teaching on the book of Leviticus, possibly harder. Um, I, I, and, and I joke here. I joke. Um, I love the book of Leviticus. If you talk to pastors, pastors always say, oh, the book of Leviticus is great. It's one of those books that's absolutely necessary. But then when you try and think of how to, to preach it, you get to Saturday afternoon at, at 3 p.m. and you look at your slides and you're like, wow, I have too many slides. And then you take like 60 slides and you just delete them all and start over because you think this isn't going to work. 
And so that's what I did yesterday. And out of those 60 slides, I deleted them all, but then I took like the 10 slides that I was like, I think I have enough time to talk about this. Because the book of Leviticus is a book where all these themes that matter in the Old Testament and matter in the New Testament come together. And it's a book where we see the necessary cost of what it will take in order for us to live in God's presence. And, and God, who is holy and perfect, is so far above anything that we could be or anything that we could imagine or anything that we could be in the presence of in our imperfection because of our sin, that the book of Leviticus is the answer to, well, what's it going to take for man to start to be able to have God dwell with them again? And so we're going to look at this this morning, and I I think we're going to have fun, but um, even though I cut out a whole bunch of slides and narrowed in, I still got back to like the same number of slides because the book of Leviticus is hard. There are so many themes Um, If you're doing our our Read the Bible in a Year plan with our church, um, one of my favorite things I've heard over the last few weeks is I hear people joke and they're like, oh yeah, I got through Genesis, I got through Exodus, I got to Leviticus, and oh, like that's that's how people feel about Leviticus. It's just a hard book. But I want to tell you something, um, and I'm going to go super nerdy in the New Testament for a moment, and then we're going to spend most of our time talking about the priesthood. Because today we're going to look at the barriers that separated humanity from God and what it looked like for those barriers to first start to be obscured or start to be removed. But, but to do this, what I want to tell you is the reason Leviticus matters, the reason the Old Testament matters, is because in the New Testament we see how absolutely important the Old Testament is. Um, there are so many things about this. Um, I, if I had like hours, I would talk to you about, there's a missions organization, um, I think they're called Ethnos 360 now, but they used to be new tribes, um, and they would preach the Bible starting at Genesis to tribes that had never heard the gospel before, had no Bible knowledge at all, remote tribes, and what they would do is they would start in Genesis, and they would build the whole narrative. So by the time they got to the cross, the people understood what the cross meant. Because you cannot understand what the cross means without the Old Testament. You cannot. And as Christians in modern day, we take that for granted. Why do we take that for granted? Because it's like we know the end of the movie, so we're pretty sure we've, we know what this middle part means. But, but we forget that the cross is the culmination of, of Genesis through the end of the Old Testament. The cross is the way that humanity can have right relationship with God. And the Old Testament is all the ways humanity could not measure up. But it's not about humanity. It's about the holy and perfect God who desired that humanity that could not be in right relationship with God eventually would be if they were willing to accept what God offered. And so we're going to look at that today. And as we do this, in the book of Leviticus, I I know that some of you are going to say, I don't think this really applies to me, Matt. I, it's, it just happens. Um, when, I, when I was like first like getting really into the Bible, when I was in my early 20s and I was trying to figure out, I'd, I'd start doing the read the Bible in a year plan and I'd, I'd get into Leviticus and I'd like start skipping and I'd go to Samuel because I love David. And I'd, just, I'd skip huge chunks or I'd read the first part of Joshua, first part of Judges and then get to Samuel and I'd, I'd, I'd get into Kings and I'd get bored again so then I'd just go to the New Testament. And so, so I know But let me tell you, there's a point in history that we can point at where where we see the importance of the Old Testament through the eyes of the Apostle Paul. Paul in 2 Timothy, it's a very famous verse. Paul in 2 Timothy says to Timothy, 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When Paul says all scripture is God-breathed and useful in, in this whole verse, at, at the point Paul is writing this, scripture meant the Old Testament. And right before this, Paul says, remember that scripture, those sacred writings from when you were young. When Timothy was young, the New Testament was being lived, not written. And, and, and so Paul tells Timothy, if you want to be wise and ready for salvation, it starts in the Old Testament. So as we jump in today, and as we look at these challenging passages, I, I just want to encourage you that, that if we want to be wise for salvation, if we want to be ready to understand our faith in, in a strong and firm way, ready for the good works that God has prepared us for, we need to understand God's holiness, we need to understand the priesthood, and we need to understand the awesome cost of sin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Um, Lord, we thank you that your word does not come back void. And more than that, Lord, we thank you that your word, no matter how challenging or confusing or, or sometimes frustrating, um, I, when, when we dig in and when we study it and when we look to you, you've You've given us your word that we would be wise for the salvation we can have in Christ. And we thank you that, that holiness, a, a, a state unattainable by us, a state that is fully and perfectly you, we thank you that you have given us a pathway through your word in order to be right before you, to be holy and to be able to stand in your presence. And I, I pray today as I preach that your words would be spoken, not mine. I, I pray you would give us all ears to hear. And I, I pray at the end of this sermon that if there's anyone here who does not know you, that they would recognize the cost in order to enter into your holy presence and they would step in and they would recognize that Jesus already paid that, or paid that price on the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, Pastor Rich talked in Leviticus 1 through 7. And we saw a whole bunch of sacrifices and burnt offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings and guilt offerings. There were all of these offerings mentioned in Leviticus 1 through 7. And um, I want to tell you all, part of, part of why Leviticus is so hard is because today I want to talk to you about blood, but I'm not going to. We're going to talk about blood next week because we don't have time for blood this week, Okay. We don't, and next week it'll make more sense. And so even though that's where I want to spend today, today we're going to talk about the priesthood. Because in Leviticus 1 through 7, we see all these sacrifices and offerings of different types, and one of the common threads across Leviticus 1 through 7 is that the way that those sacrifices were going to be handled, the people would bring them to the tabernacle, and the priests were responsible to act between man and God in order to take those sacrifices and in order to properly, ritualistically make sure that the people were purified and cleansed before God. And so the priestly order matters. And something that you, you may not realize is that in Leviticus 1 through 7, if we kind of critically and, and critically think as we read through Scripture, as we read Leviticus 1 through 7, we're going to notice that there actually have not been any ordained priests. There are not any priests who are actually able to serve in the temple, tabernacle. I'm going to mess that up, but temple, tabernacle, tent of meeting, they're all kind of the same thing. The, the temple was a physical space in Jerusalem. The tabernacle was a, a tent that they moved around. The tent of meeting was 
the tabernacle was called the tent of meeting, but also before the tabernacle, there was another tent called the tent of meeting. It gets confusing, but they're all one space where God and his spirit and his, the glory of God dwelled with the people, okay? So there's my apology for that. But we're going to jump in right now because at the end of Leviticus 1 through 7, we hear all the offerings that are going to be necessary and how the priests are going to be a part of all these offerings. And then if we're, if we're an ancient Israelite who's hearing this for the first time, our next thought must be, well, how do the priests do that? They're not allowed to go in the presence of God. And that's where Leviticus 8 begins. Leviticus 8 through 10 are one long narrative telling the story of the ordination of the first priests. And by ordination, I mean the appointing. The, the first priests were prepared, consecrated, and made ready to be able to be in the presence of God. And, and so what happens at the start of Leviticus 8 is the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bowl of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread. And, and what happens in Leviticus 8 through the whole chapter is they do a bunch of sacrifices, a bunch of offerings. They do all of these things to prepare Aaron and his four sons in order for them to be serving God in, in the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. And so Leviticus 8 is the seven-day ordination process for the priests of Israel. And, and at the end of Le, towards the end of Leviticus 8, in Leviticus 8.33, it says, And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. Now, I, I bring this up because the ordination process for, these, for Aaron and his four sons was an intense process. They, the tent of meeting is a space that at this point in human history, since, since the tabernacle was built, no human has been able to be inside. And they are staying as near it as they can for seven days. They can't go in it. If they were to go into it, they would die. And they're told, you can't go far from it. You're going to stay there. And they've got blood on different parts of their body in order to be ritualistically clean before the Lord and in order to be consecrated, ordained, for the ministry they're going to do. And, and so here's a picture of the tabernacle. Um, this is the tent, which is the, the tent of meeting. And, and we're not told exactly where they are, but I like to think they're kind of sitting up here in the, the pillars or maybe kind of in the side. It, I don't know if it rained or not, but I'd like to imagine. But they essentially, I, the, the farthest they could have gone would have been this courtyard. Most likely they were sitting very near the tent, but they could not go in the tent. No one could go in the tent. And, and the final verse of Leviticus 8, and Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by Moses. Now, if we had hours, we would read Leviticus 8, 9, and 10, verse by verse, um, but we don't have hours. And it would take so long to explain all the different little details. But what I do want to tell you is that there is a theme in Leviticus 8, 9, and 10 where 17 times we hear the word commanded. We hear, the Lord commanded, they did as the Lord commanded. The Lord commanded, they did as the Lord commanded. The Lord commanded, they did as the Lord commanded. The Lord commanded, they did as the Lord commanded. The Lord commanded, they did as the Lord commanded. They did not do as the Lord commanded. So that tells you something bad's coming up, and we'll get there. But what I want to tell you on the starting point is that the ordination process was a process that had to be obeyed start to finish completely in order for people to be prepared to enter into the presence of God fully. And we need to understand that because these priests, as they are sitting here for seven days, in, in the center of the camp of Israel is the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, the, the people would have known there are people sitting in that tent 
or near that tent, not sitting inside, sitting near that tent, that when they are ordained, we are going to be able to live with God in our midst for the first time since the Garden of Eden. So Leviticus 8 is the seven-day ordination process for the temple, or for the priests of Israel. Leviticus 9 is the triumphant eighth day where the glory of the Lord comes before the people. That's what we're going to talk about now. On the eighth day, so they've been sitting at the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and Moses commands Aaron and his sons and tells them to say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings and to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. That's peace offering. They're doing all the offerings right now because today the Lord will appear to you. And, and when, when we read this, we can miss what this means, but in a moment we're going to go deep. Uh, two verses later in Leviticus, Moses says, this is the thing that the Lord commanded, 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 commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Now, the glory of the Lord is, is God not, not in his full, like they don't get to see the face of God, but, but they get to see the glory of God, God in his full holiness as much as could be standed in a world full of sin. Um, and, and we need to understand what holiness is in order to talk about this. And, and holiness is the utterly unique and set-apartness of God in all his attributes. So God is all, he's the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's, he's all-knowing, all-powerful everywhere. God is love. God is wrath. God is justice. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is all-knowing. I'm, I'm going to start repeating myself. God, God is just. He's invisible. Like he's, he's the Holy, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, I, man, I, I had these all memorized at one point, and now I feel bad, but, but he's, he's wise. He has all knowledge. God is perfect in every way. And the holiness of God, all of the attributes of God are wrapped into that holiness. You can't look at one attribute of God and hold it on its own. You can't say, well, God is love, so let's just talk about that. You have to look at his love weighed against his wrath and his mercy and his kindness and his power. and his. They all are wrapped inside one thing that at the core is the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is absolutely unique. He is set apart in a way that there is nothing like him. The, my favorite way of talking about this, um, I, I have to give props. There's a, a group called the Bible Project. Um, if you want to like nerd out to the Bible, they are the best place to do it. Um, but they talk about the holiness of God. The, the imagery they always use is the sun. Because the holiness of God, it's a life-giving thing, right? Just like the sun. But, but you can't get too close to the sun, or at least we don't know. No one's ever tried, but I would assume you would be burned to a crisp, right? Um, but but the, the idea of the holiness of God is it's, it's utterly unique. You cannot be close to it. It in its perfection is never going to become less perfect. If we, like, sent a missile at the sun, like, I think that's in a Superman movie, maybe. I don't. No? Okay. I thought they like threw nuclear... This is... I'm sorry. I'm wasting time. Um, but the, I think they threw nuclear bombs into the sun and then a bad guy comes out of it. I don't know. The, the point of this is that, that the sun is not going to change because things go near the sun. The sun will stay the same. The things that go near the sun will be destroyed. The holiness of God, God's unique, his all-powerful, God is perfect and unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever that's in Hebrews. God, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are just God. 
the holiness of God in the Old Testament, the holiness of, the God, of God in the New Testament, it's just the holiness of God. And some people are challenged by this because we want to believe that the God of the Old Testament was wrathful and hateful, and then Jesus came, and when Jesus came, Jesus was like, man, it's harder to be human than I thought. I've heard this said by Christians, many Christians, who say, well, after Jesus came, God got more loving. And the problem with this is everything. The problem with this is it's wrong. The problem is, is if you believe this, you might as well not believe this. Because the Bible, the whole picture of the Old Testament is this picture of us trying to get back to Genesis 1 and 2 in a new way where God and his people dwelled together. And we want to get back to that point. And in order to do that, we need to recognize the storyline of the Old Testament that informs us of why the cross had to happen. That's the point of the whole Old Testament is the cross, the resurrection, and the kingdom of Jesus for all eternity. And so we need to recognize the holiness of God. The glory of God is essentially the visible manifestation of God and all his holiness appearing before the people. So I deleted a lot of slides. I, give me a break. But, but uh, appearing before the people, when we see this moment happening, this is a moment that has never happened in human history in the way it's about to happen. Something we need to recognize is that, that God did appear on Mount Sinai. He did appear in a burning bush. He's appeared in these places. He appeared to Moses in a tent at other points earlier in Exodus, but always outside the camp. Never inside the camp of the Israelites. It's intentionally focused on that God was never really in their midst. So Moses and Aaron offer up on the, the, on, in Leviticus 9, they offer up all these sacrifices on behalf of themselves and be, on behalf of the people in order that the glory of God would appear to them. And, and then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Now, It's so hard to stress how important this moment is. But the best way I can do it is to to just tell you, when it says they went into the tent of meeting, we have to to look backwards. And and I hope this is like a goosebump moment for all of you. Um, So the tent of meeting, from the moment the tabernacle was built in Exodus 40, the Spirit of God descended and what we learn in Leviticus 1.1, the first verse of Leviticus, the, at, at Moses and Aaron entering the tent in Leviticus 9, in Leviticus 1, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting. Moses, who had been on the mountain with God, Moses, who had been in a tent outside the camp of Israel, could no longer be in the presence of God. If we go back a few verses, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. The final few verses of Exodus 40. In Exodus 3, when we first meet God, not us first, but when Moses first meets God, God says to Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. That's just another example of the holiness of God and and people needing to not approach it. And, and And then we go back. And this is the moment. This is the, I think this is the goosebump moment. In Genesis 3.24, after the woman and the man ate from the tree, together, after they ate from the tree, and after God made a promise to a serpent, a promise to a man, and a promise to a woman, 
after he made those promises, he drove out the man, and at the east part of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. The tent of meeting. The, if, if, you, if you dig into Exodus 20 through 40, you see that the idea of the tent of meeting is this is a space that's supposed to remind us and echo the imagery of the garden. Because in the center was God's presence in the holy of holies, in that central point of the temple or the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, in that central point is where God's presence would have dwelled. And, and there was the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments and where, where other relics were, but there there was also this lampstand with seven branches that was designed and intended to represent the tree of life. And so when we read, and Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, we are seeing a moment when humanity, for the first time since Genesis 3, walks back into the presence of God. And when they came out, they came out. They didn't stay there. They didn't die when they entered the presence of God. This is something radical and new. Humanity has never before been able to be in the presence of God since the fall. And now they walk back into the presence of God. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. The Lord accepts the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord appears before all the people. Not just before Moses and Aaron, the glory of the Lord appeared before the people. And this is at a point where the tabernacle is not far away. It's in the midst of their camp. The God of the Bible dwelling with his people for the first time since the garden. And what it took was seven days of consecration, a, a specific space that they created on behalf of God's instructions in the tabernacle in order for there to be a space where heaven and earth could meet, where the divine could live with creation again, despite their sin. And, and this moment is a, this is the moment that tells us the cross is a possibility. Without this moment, the cross does not I mean, it does matter, but without this moment, we would not understand the full implications of the cross because what this moment tells us is that there are possibilities for man and God to dwell together again. Up until this point in Leviticus 10, we've seen promises of it, but we've never seen it done. And now we see it done. And right after this moment, that, that verse we just read, it's the last verse. Immediately after the glory of the Lord comes in Leviticus 9. So the last verse of Leviticus 9 is Leviticus 9.24. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now, Nadab and... and okay, I don't like picking on the Bible translations too much, but the word now here should actually be and. Um, I don't know why they translate it that way. I don't know why Leviticus 9 and Leviticus 10 aren't just one chapter together. I, I'd make Leviticus 8 through 10, Leviticus 8, and just make it one of those super long chapters where when you're doing your devotions and you're like, I'm going to read a chapter a day, you're like, oh, I'm going to read half this chapter today. The, the, the point is, is it, it goes, all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces, and Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, two of the four sons of Aaron, who have just spent seven days being consecrated, and now on the eighth day they watch Moses and Aaron walk into the tent of meeting and walk out. 
Nadab and Abihu, they each take his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That's a bummer. I actually didn't want to have to preach on this part. And then when I studied the passage, I was like, well, it's an important part of the passage. It's here that we see the problem, not with the holiness of God, but the problem with the reality of man. And we're going to talk about this. Now, an an important thing we need to talk about right off the bat is when it says unauthorized fire, um, some people are really sure of what that means. Those people are not biblical scholars. Um, Biblical scholars have like four or five interpretations that they argue, and we really have no idea what was wrong with what they offered from the standpoint of why it was not proper. We just know it was unauthorized. There's different ideas about the coals they got didn't come from the tabernacle or, or, or the incense they used or different things. But I, I don't think it matters. If you've ever heard someone preach on how much that unauthorized fire matters, what I want to tell you is what they said was their opinion, but there's no way to land it. And that's my opinion, so I know I'm doing opinion against opinion. But, but I start here because I've heard this preached on how the unauthorized fire was they tried to offer something sinful. But I don't think it's that. Because the bigger problem, remember, 16 times if we read through Leviticus 8 and 9, if we had time for that, commanded, they did as commanded. Commanded, they did as commanded. The Lord commanded, they did as commanded. 16 times. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And it's here that we see the real problem. Because in the moment when the glory of the Lord appears before the people, what has happened? God has said, I've accept- the fire comes out and consumes the sacrifices. Moses and Aaron went into the tent and they came out of the tent. The people are told in this moment, the holiness of God, the place of God is going to be with man in this moment. It's the promise between Moses and God in Exodus 33 where Moses says to God, God, will you dwell with your people? And God says, I am making a covenant with, y'all, with you. And, and, and what happens out of that is God tells them, here's what it's going to take for me to dwell with you. And at the end of Leviticus 9, God, they've obeyed in obedience all of God's commands, and so God is going to dwell with them. God's glory appears to them, and and Nadab and Abihu, here's what they did. They see the glory of God, and they think the sacrifices that we've made are not enough. And they grab censers, which are like these gold pole things that would have had like little chains and then like a little thing and and they would have put a coal in it and filled it with incense and they would have carried it around and waved it around because the the aroma of the incense was seen as a way to block the sins of the people against God. And so what they are doing, what they are doing is they are trying to add another level of protection between the people and the holiness of God. So what they are doing is saying that the sacrifices that God commanded are not enough. They are interceding for the people in a way that God has told them not to do. And because of that, God kills them. Now, as I study this, there's a whole bunch of different ideas behind this. But one of the things I think is I I think that as they grab it and as they start the process, I don't think they get very far before, bam, fire, dead. And why I think that is because I think an implication of this passage is if they would have properly started doing the incense over the people, the people who were cleansed by the offerings that had already been offered would have no longer been cleansed. 
And so the glory of God would not have been able to be in their presence in the same way. And really, it's not the glory of God won it. It's that they wouldn't have been able to be in the glory of God. And, and so we're going to talk about why this matters a whole lot in the, the next few minutes. But the first thing I want to tell you, and, and this, is, this is so freeing, and I hope I can say it super clearly. One of the most important things to learn in this passage is that when Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, when he said, this is my blood spilled for you, do this in remembrance of me, he wants us to remember a complete and perfect sacrifice. We don't need to be like Nadab and Abihu trying to do more for God because in Jesus that sacrifice is complete. These these two sons of Aaron blow it because they don't think that what's been done is enough. And we know because what God says is true is true, and we know that God has said the sacrifice he's offered for us and his son, with Jesus' death and resurrection, we have a way to be in right relationship with God. We have a way to dwell in right relationship with God for all of eternity. We don't need to do more. What we do should be an outpouring of what we remember Jesus has already done. And that is so freeing, but it is so hard to do. But, but when we look at this story, I think that's a major implication. The other thing we need to recognize here, we need to recognize that the holiness of God does not leave room for more. When they try and do this, when they try and do this, they, for whatever reason, they think what they're doing is useful. And the response of God is it's not. And the response of God is that, that what I command of my people, that's what they're to do. And the holiness of God will not be made less or more because it is perfect in every way. And so that's an implication of this. Now, I, I want to spend just a little time. We're going to talk about the role of the Old Testament priest. We've, we've seen Aaron and his sons that were being consecrated, ordained for the priesthood over seven days in that eighth day. We've seen what happens when two of the priests decide to do what, more than what God commanded. And, and now we want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the role of the priests in the Old Testament of once they were ordained, what it meant. The first thing we need to know is that they act as mediators, intercessors, on behalf of the people before the Lord. So when the people brought forward sacrifices, it was the priest's role to be a part of the slaughter of the animals, to, to make sure the blood went to the right places, to make sure everything was done in the way that the Lord had commanded. Now remember, I'm going to talk about blood a whole lot next week, so we don't, we're not going to spend much time on it this week. Next week we're going to talk about the Day of Atonement and, and, and really the sacrificial system in great detail. But the priests were responsible to act as the mediators and the intercessors making sure that sacrifices offered, were offered in the way that they were intended to be offered. So in, in the temple, when people entered, this is, I think this is super helpful for understanding this. Um, there's a funny 3D man and a bull um, down here. Um, people would come in and they'd do the, the sacrifices with the priests out here. The people wouldn't like go up in here at all. Um, only, on, only the priests were able to do that. But some of the sacrifices required that things that were done out here, blood would be brought in here. Some of them just required blood to be moved out here. But the, the point is, is that the priests were the only ones that were actually going in the tent of meeting or the temple. The, the people would be on the outside or the courtyard. Or, or it, it, and the, the point of that was that the priests were the only ones ordained and, and able because of their consecration to be fully or almost fully in the presence of God. And remember, this is because of holiness. The people were coming so that they could be, their sin could be covered, so their guilt could be covered, but, but they were not able to enter that full presence of God. 
The priests were also to offer the necessary sacrifices for keeping the dwelling place of God with man. Now, what's important here, um, priests of Yahweh performed sacrifices, maintained the holy sites and implements, and provided counsel and instruction. When, when the people came to the priests, the priests would do these things, but they'd also take care of the altar. They'd take care of the implements that were used for the sacrificing. They'd take care of the, the tabernacle, the curtains, the space. It was their job to make sure that the space that was the space where God dwelled with the people was clean and was taken care of in the way that God had commanded it. They didn't have like janitors who came in and took care of that. That was a role of the priests. They also were to tend to the tasks of the space where the Lord dwells with the people. So, so you've got, they're taking care of the, the human side, but they also had to take care of this divine side. Um, we're going to talk specifically about this next week. There's a day called the Day of Atonement where a specific sac- set of sacrifices were offered. Again, no time for now, but I mention it because they were responsible. The, the space of the tabernacle or the temple over the course of the year would actually become a space where there was sin. Not because it was sinful, but because the sin of of the people dwelling with God would need to be atoned for. So each year, the priests were responsible for for making sure that between God and man, sin, intentional and unintentional, was atoned for. So the priests had a whole lot of roles. And the big idea, I love this language, and so I want to use it. It's um, the hardest name for me to pronounce from this week's reading. It's a German name, Eich wrote or something. I don't know. But he said um, that, that part of the role of the priest was to allow the people to participate in the divine life. And that on the surface may sound like a weird Eastern religion thing where you're like, I don't know at all what Matt's talking about. But the idea behind that, to allow the people to participate in the divine life, the, the picture that we're looking at here is a picture of, of people that are able to dwell with God as close to back in the garden as humanly possible. And and so the priest's job was to make sure the people could live well, that God would live in their midst, that they would be able to live as closely to God as possible, even though God is holy and they are not. And so that was the primary role of the priests. Now, we've talked a lot about priests, and I know some of you out there are thinking, and I'm going to give you a chance together to just read this out loud, okay? Because I think you're all thinking it. Will someone lead? Okay, good question. Good question. The first thing I want to point out is it should start without, like you started it with a conjunction, and that starts it poorly. Start it Pastor Matt. Don't, you know, just live it up. But anyways... Um, we're we're going to jump into Revelation for a moment, and um, oh man, um, our church is going to be in the book of Revelation coming off Easter, and I'm so excited for it, and do you know what we need to talk about Revelation well? We need the book of Leviticus, so I am so excited that we're in Leviticus, but we're going to talk about Revelation, and one of the things that happens right at the beginning of Revelation, before we get into prophecy or prophetic language or things of the future or things of the present or things for all eternity, before we get into that, when John is first writing his introduction, John says this, to him who loves us, Jesus, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we look in the New Testament, a thing we cannot escape from is the idea that we will be, and if we are believers, we are priests of God. 
Now, if you have a Catholic background, you may say, well, Matt, you're a priest. Um, I'm not a priest, though. Um, I'm married, I have children, and I'm not Catholic. Um, a lot of times in our community, if I tell someone I'm a pastor, they go, oh, you're not married? Like, that's how, I've actually had multiple guys start sentences that way. I'm like, no, that's Catholics. And they're like, oh, okay, um, I'm not going to bash on Catholics here, but what I want to tell you is the Catholic institution of the priesthood, the thing I need to make sure is really clear, is that that is not a biblical idea, or else every single Catholic would just be a priest. It's, it's not a biblical idea at all. And I need to stress that because when it says we're priests, it's not talking about someday we will be. It's talking about we are now. I could show a whole bunch of other verses from the New Testament that talk about this idea. We don't have time. But, but the, the point is, is that if we are believers, we are priests. If you come from a Catholic background and you struggle when you hear that, I want to encourage you to talk to Rich, Pastor Rich, who came from a Catholic background. I'd love to talk to you as well, but I, Rich has a whole lot of experience there. And, and the reality is is that that we're all called to be a part of this priesthood and when you hear that you might say so we need do we need to start sacrificing animals and the response to that is of course no Um, but the holiness of God our priesthood a part of it is first we need to remember the holiness of God then we need to remember the sacrifice of Jesus because the holiness of God is no longer the son that will destroy us the way that it once was but it matters that we're priests because we take on the roles of the priests There's roles for the priest besides just sacrificing animals, as we just saw. One of the roles of the priest in general was to act as intercessors. And and we, we can do that now by praying on behalf of others before the Lord. That's a role for the church. If you are a believer, we are called to pray on behalf of others in the church. We're we're called to that intercessory role. And that is something we can and should be doing for each other. It's something that we should be doing for those who are sick, those who are struggling. For, for those who we know are doing well, we should be lifting up each other before the Lord. We're told in the New Testament that Jesus also intercedes on our behalf. He is the high priest. Don't have time for that. Um, but but uh, the post-resurrection priest, we also take communion and do it in remembrance of the completed final sacrifice of Jesus. Even though we no longer offer sacrifices, as, as priests, when we do communion, we're remembering the sacrifice that allowed us all into the priesthood. We also, we live in relationship with God through following his commands. In the same way that in the Old Testament, the priests were helping the people live by the commands of God, live in obedience to him, we're called as the priesthood to be a part of that same work. Ultimately, we're we're called to, to live in and to point others to the source that allows them to participate in the divine life. And again, that divine life, if we are Christians, if we've given our lives to Christ, if we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he rose again, and if we we make him the Lord of our life, give our allegiance to him as king, if we say Jesus is my Lord and we, we believe what the Bible says about him, we will be saved. And when we are saved, the Holy Spirit enters us and we are participating in the divine life. And we're not just supposed to participate there alone. We're supposed to reflect that out to others. The same way the glory of God has shown into our lives, we're supposed to try and shine it to others so that others will come to be a part of this priesthood. We are a priesthood not of of Aaron and his sons or Aaron or the Levites or, or one tribe or one people. We are a priesthood of all who call Jesus Lord, all who are a part of his kingdom. And that's what we are called to be. And so if you are here today and you are a believer, you are a priest. And, and, and this is what the role looks like for us today. And the role looks like that because when Jesus died and rose again, his blood covered us and allows us to be fully in the presence and holiness of God now and for all eternity, praise the Lord. If you're not a believer today, 
I, I want to encourage you to consider the cost of what Jesus did, but consider it in light. In the Old Testament, there was so much required for us to be able to be in God's holy presence. And in the New Testament, Jesus died and took on that burden so, so that we could be there fully in God's presence, so we could be fully in relationship with him, and so that, that we could participate in living our lives for eternity with him. God, who is perfectly holy, the source of life, the author of creation, the unchanging, invites us to an eternity with him, here and for all eternity, if we will just respond. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, we thank you for the gift of what your son did. We thank you that, that in his death and resurrection, we find life. We thank you that your holy presence is something that we don't have to be afraid of or to run from. It's not something that requires any more bloodshed. We thank you that you have offered for us your, your, just a way to you. And we pray that we would live as those who follow you. We, we pray that we would live as if what you've offered us is enough. We pray we would not try and do more than what you've commanded. And, and ultimately, Lord, we, we pray that we would just live faithfully by your commands. We thank you that the picture we see in Leviticus points to your son. And we thank you it helps us understand, understand the implications of the cross. We thank you that your holiness is something that, that even though we cannot achieve it on our own, your son's blood covers us and allows us to be a part of your kingdom, a part of your priesthood. We thank you that you are so good. We thank you that you let us be a part of your perfection. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd love to invite you to stand one more time as we respond to this word this morning together in worship.
for worshiping with us today. If you are worshiping online, our online hosts are going to stick around for a little bit to answer any questions you have. Feel free to stay on for a while and chat. I want to read to you now our sending for this morning. This is a prayer that's come to be known as the priestly blessing. This is from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go now in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in him.